Well, this morning we're getting back into, and hopefully we'll finish, I plan to finish the little section of Scripture we are in at the end of 1 Peter chapter 5. I, I can see the finish line. We're right there, and we'll get there. But as you recall, if you've been here, as I've introduced this section of Scripture, which I'll read in a moment, I outlined it in the context of preparing to face the challenges of 2021. And part of that was because we just came out of a year that was so unprecedented and so strange. Little did I know that the first week of this year was going to be unprecedented and strange with what happened at our nation's capital and the chaos that engulfed everything. It was remarkable, and I was stunned as I was watching it. And yet, I couldn't help but wonder in my mind if that's not just a preview, unfortunately, of a new reality as we move farther and farther along. I also thought it was perhaps fitting that I'm in the midst of teaching a section of Scripture that warns us about our adversary, the devil, and at least I was convinced some of his handiwork was on display with what was going on. Division and anger and violence and despair. They really are his calling cards. He's got a lot more tools in his chest. But we see around us a little bit of the chaos that's engulfing the world. Now again, as believers, we should not be surprised. The scriptures make it clear things will go from bad to worse. Things will get increasingly bad. But it's a reminder of why we talk about the Scriptures and why we try and prepare ourselves. So I'm going to give a little brief summary, as I always do, of where we've been. Then I'm going to come back into the middle of our second point, and then we'll finish up this text today. I'm going to read our Scripture. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Again, the overarching context. These are believers who have endured a lot. They've suffered. Peter's been exhorting them, encouraging them. The ultimate goal is be holy as God is holy. That's the premise of everything. But as he's getting to the end of his letter, he has this warning. Verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, I broke this up into a four-part outline, just preparing to face the challenges of 2021. And the first point, which I won't belabor, was expect to experience difficult trials. Expect to experience difficult trials. And it's all with that two-part imperative, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. You add this together, and a quick summary of this is we have to be careful how we think. We have to be prepared in how we think. We have to be self-controlled with our minds, so that when trouble comes our way, we're not scattered and haphazard in how we think, but we're prepared to biblically process and deal with what's going on. But another aspect of this is that we're sober spirit, we're on the alert because of our adversary, and that was my second point, don't overlook your real enemy. Don't overlook your real enemy. I started to cover this last week, and, and I was very clear then. I don't want anybody to be an expert on Satan. I want you to be an expert on Jesus. By the same token, we do have to have an awareness of the tools and tricks and character of our adversaries so we can defend ourselves. 
But Peter paints a frightening picture of a voracious adversary. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He knows there are evil men that do evil things. He knows they face injustice in their daily lives. But he also knows that there's an unseen danger that permeates everything going on. And the motivating force behind this evil world system is Satan. And as we covered some aspects of his character and what scripture says about him, we looked at some passages from Job. But the reality is angels don't need sleep like we do. So Satan and his minions who have been cast out of heaven for rebellion have plenty of time to keep roaming, keep prowling, keep looking And he wants to devour, destroy, consume. And there's an aspect, of course, where as believers, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But if he can't keep our souls from being in heaven, he wants to make our witness ineffective here on the earth. Satan and ultimately his minions are about murder and lies. John 8:44 I read it last week. It's one of those verses I think about a lot because it explains a lot about the world and it's a simple verse. Jesus in talking to others said you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. And for reasons that God knows and that he's not required to tell us, he allows in this fallen world system Satan to have a great deal of sway over things. Satan is not sovereign. He can't ever go beyond the boundaries that God sets. But he is allowed great sway over this planet and its human systems such that everything to an extent, is not only contaminated by sin, but it's serving the purposes of Satan. Now again, I covered a lot of this last week. I won't try and reteach everything. But I introduced a concept that really causes me to come back to it, and this is what I want to focus on today. And, and there's an aspect where it at least has some relationship to what Jack just preached. And I want to be careful because Jack named names, and he was very clear. He's not saying those people aren't believers, and I'm not trying to correct that. What I'm talking about, though, is an illustration, and perhaps what he was saying is an illustration of certain things. But what I want to focus on with the little bit I talk about Satan this morning is where I think he does the greatest danger, which is in the church. You look around the world, it's corrupt, it's fallen. You look at entertainment, you look at what's promoted, you look at everything, and you see his handiwork, where we've got to be on the alert and sober spirit is to see his handiwork when it slips in the door of Christianity. I quoted last week, and this is sort of the last of my introduction, from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And beginning at verse 13 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul warning about These types of people says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, 
disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse 14, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. What's being described in that verse is what concerns me most as one of your elders here at Lakeside. I'm concerned about our people, our family, our church following deceitful workers and false teachers. Now, on the one hand, I realize that sounds odd because of our church. I truly believe every person who teaches at Lakeside is doing their best to speak the truth. Say that up front. And our church, I still marvel to this day. I've been here, I'm in my 14th year. I'm, I marvel at how a church that's not a mega church has so many gifted teachers. Really is remarkable. The gifts that God has given this one little place on Sunset Point Road is incredible. So if that's the case, why am I talking about not overlooking our real enemy, particularly when he deceives the church in the area of false teaching? And it's very simple. Because I know most people at our church listen to and read other people. I'm not concerned with you being deceived in our Sunday school classes. I'm not concerned with you being deceived from our pulpit. I'm concerned with you being deceived by all the other Christian information that's out there even in my life I'm still a relatively young man I'm 54 came to faith at 26 but when I try and explain to my own kids what the world looked like even when I was first a lawyer it's remarkable how different things are there was no internet I'm sure it existed for the military or something but we didn't have internet we didn't have email there was no looking something up. There was no YouTube. You weren't watching videos. You were limited to what you could hear on the radio and what might show up on TV. And it was relatively easy to spot the bad guys. Normally, because they were asking you to send money for their new jets. Okay, maybe that doesn't sound right. Or they were on fringe radio stations. It, it was relatively easy to sort out. Now things are exponentially different because of the Internet. It's remarkable the transformation in our society and our world because of the internet. Anyone can claim to be a teacher. Anyone can claim to be a Christian. That's always been the case. But now anyone can claim to be a teacher and they post videos and all you got to do is get a couple of people to share it with a couple more people and pretty soon you're popular. And whether you actually know what you're talking about or not, you're labeled an expert and suddenly people are flocking to you and listening to what you say. In almost a perverse contrast, and there's a lot of people that brag about the fact of what they don't know just so you understand. They're not one of those experts. Satan, I am convinced, loves the internet and puts it to repeated use. Now, please understand, God also can use the internet. I think about the blessing to our missionaries that no longer are living in isolation or waiting for a letter to arrive because they can communicate. I know even in my own circumstances, I've seen the blessings of people who can download a Bible from the internet when they couldn't have necessarily ever gotten one. So don't mishear me. 
even our own church has been blessed by our ability to live stream our services. Imagine what we would have been when we shut down in March if we didn't have the ability to do that. So, of course, God is using the Internet for some good things. But Satan propagates a lot of his error online. And unfortunately, if people aren't discerning, they can click on something and start listening. And the next thing you know, they start questioning. It really, as I look around at the world, it's a paradox. Because on the one hand, we have access to more good Bible teaching because of the internet, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week than anybody could have ever imagined. By the same token, we have that much access to those false workers that are disguising themselves as servants of righteousness, but the reality is they're peddling lies and error. The danger around us, and the primary way I think Satan seeks to devour a lot of Christians, is through false doctrine and creating a love for this world. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1. From my earliest days of being saved, I always marvel at how accurately God lays out the future. But in 1 Timothy 4, 1, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now certainly not every time a teacher says something wrong are they demonic. I remember John MacArthur being asked at a question and answer session. I don't even remember where it was. I don't remember if it was when I was in seminary or at a conference. But somebody said, do you think you're wrong about anything you teach in the Bible? And he said, yes. And they said, well, what? And he said, if I knew that, I wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> so even the best teachers can make a mistake. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who are motivated not by love of Christ but by attracting a following. They use it as a means of money, and unfortunately, sometimes Christians can't discern the difference. In fact, as odd as it is, there are a lot of people teaching today that are teaching the exact opposite of what the Bible says. They're teaching people to love this world, to care more about this world. I don't mean people. I mean the things. 1 John chapter 2, for example. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, gives this warning. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Again, I remember seeing so many different things over the years, but pastor on a TV show standing on stage with a Ferrari as though that was a mark of godliness. Remember reading an article about a pastor literally who was complaining because his jet wasn't fast enough and goodness gracious he needed the nicer newer jet that cost tens of millions of dollars and I cringe at the number of hard working people that were duped and probably sent him money. 
Those are the kind of people that are saying Jesus was always wealthy and Jesus was this and Jesus was that, which is not what the scriptures say. I thought it was fascinating. The first time I went overseas for any type of missions work, I went to the country of Ukraine in 2003. I've shared parts of that in other contexts. But I was going with a mission trip from Grace Community Church and one of the guys I was going with was from Ukraine. He was my friend. We had preached together all over California. He was the one that got me the introduction to preaching in Russian-speaking churches, which the very first time I preached, I had to have a translator. The very first time I stood at a pulpit because it was a Russian-speaking church. But what was interesting was you go to the former Soviet Union, and if you grew up in my era, you understand the Soviet Union was evil bad. That was the ultimate. And I get there, and I find that there were always a remnant of the church. They were genuine believers. But what was fascinating was this. When the wall fell... Christianity came flooding in, but it wasn't any good Christianity. It was all the heretics, all the bad teachers. The biggest church in Kiev at that time was a health and wealth proponent teaching these poor people who had suffered for so many years that if you just come to Christ, you get all the stuff you wanted. On and on it goes. I think what's most distressing to me today is the number of pastors who were standing before people And opening the Bible and explaining to people why the Bible doesn't mean what it actually says about sin. Seems to be an epidemic amongst young people, but even older people are being deceived. So the church is supposed to equip the saints to know and understand truth. That's why I do what I do. That's why I became a pastor. But what we also see in this day and age is it's just our own independence I don't really need somebody telling me what to think. I'll do it myself. Ephesians 4 really explains God what he provides for people. And he gave, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the goal. That's where we're going. That's what we strive to do. Verse 14 is the warning. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. A lot of the American church, I assume it's in other places, but I live in America, a lot of the American church is tossed here and there by waves all the time. And the trickery of men and the craftiness and deceitful scheming and the false workers... Find a ready audience amongst people that should know better. Again, God knew this was coming. If you go to seminary, particularly the master seminary built on preaching, you see in different places, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach... The word, 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So that becomes our call. That's what they do. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. I can't help but observe that this describes the American church more and more. Not every church. There are a lot of good teaching churches. But more and more churches, more and more places that I think would know better. And Satan's always happy to supply more teachers to tickle ears. So my heart's concern for all of you And it's still my concern for myself, for my family. I worry about us not being thinking and discerning with what's going on and absorbing teaching, thinking, well, I can separate truth from error. It's no big deal. We can't trust every person who says they're a Christian. We can't listen to every sermon unquestioningly simply because somebody clicked a link and said, wow, this is good, listen to it. I will be as direct as I can because I don't want it to seem that I'm yelling at you. I'm going to be honest with you. I know I'm capable of believing error. I don't think I knowingly believe error. But as we saw in the text that Jack was teaching on this morning, the Apostle Peter could stumble. Okay, he's probably a little bit higher up on the pole than I am. Here's the other thing, and I alluded to it last week, and I can't tell you the number of times I think about this, particularly because I feel like God has given me a measure of discernment, and it's so easy for me to step away from being thankful to God and being prideful of myself. But as I alluded to last week, Satan was standing in the presence of a holy God and was able to deceive third of the angels. I can't comprehend how good his lies are. And I know if I'm not careful, I can be led astray. Where Satan is good is that he knows the Bible better than any of us. As I mentioned before, he tried to use the Word of God on the Word of God. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. But we've got to be very careful and we've got to be very humble. Even with me, I don't like to listen or read things that I don't know where they're coming from. Occasionally I'm forced to do it as a matter of protection, but I don't like it. Why? Because I don't know who these people are. Are they trustworthy? So let me encourage you. Be careful in 2021. It seems particularly there's a strand of of our concern about the future of our country that seems to have gotten caught up in the flag and the Bible. And there's a lot of people that I'm not convinced are saved that are claiming to be a part of us trying to rally the troops and stir up anger and strife Be careful. 
you're going to have a lot of opportunities this year to listen to bad teaching, except that it's not going to be labeled bad teaching. It'll be disguised as light and truth. So, my second point was this, and I'll stop. I don't like talking about Satan any more than I have to. I'll, I'll be done with that. Preparing to face the challenges. One, expect to experience difficult trials. Two, don't overlook your real enemy. Three, prepare your defense before the battle begins. Prepare your defense before the battle begins. And this is actually the most encouraging and hopeful point. Because verse 9 says something very clearly. And it really is a brief summation of how we deal with that adversary who's prowling about seeking someone to devour. In English, seven words. But resist him, firm in your faith. It's so brief and distinct, it's almost shocking. We've got this powerful adversary, the devil, seeking to destroy, seeking to deceive. And yet our response to him, according to the scripture, is not very complicated. Now, it requires a lifetime of effort to actually do... But in terms of what's required, it's very simple. We'll look at what the words mean and then I'll talk a little bit about application. But resist him. As I studied this and as I was reading different commentaries and as I was thinking it through, I was struck and generally the ideas were covered by other people so I'm not trying to claim original thought. It just started percolating in my mind. It made a lot of sense. It says... All the things that aren't commanded are very interesting. We're not told to flee from Satan or run away. We're not told to go on the attack and hunt him down. We're not told to be scared and afraid and hiding in a corner. We're told to resist him means take a stand against it's military imagery as it was originally presented but it simply just means standing your ground in the truth ready to reject the lies and deceptions and temptations that Satan throws at us resist him something that is confident something in part that's tied up in the fact that we know he's capable of being resisted and I don't just mean in the ultimate sense. There is the ultimate sense where Satan loses. For example, Romans sixteen twenty: The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Revelation twenty ten: And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, Satan loses. He will be judged for all eternity for his rebellion against a holy God. But today, he's still our adversary, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking those who he can devour. But here's the encouragement part of this. If we do what is said, he can't hurt us now. He wants to destroy us, but God has given us the ability to resist him. We have the power in Christ to defeat each of his attempts to destroy us, not just in 2021, but as long as we walk this earth. 
James 4, 7 says something very similar. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and James goes farther, and he will flee from you. That's hard to fathom in one sense. You think of this powerful angel that is our adversary. And he's in a sense, by God's permissive design, is allowed to rule and control all these things. And he has legions of demonic angels at his disposal. And for many of us, our view of Satan isn't drawn by Scripture, it's drawn by popular culture. That was something I really struggled as a new believer to overcome. I wasn't saved until I was 26. By that point, I had a lifetime of watching shows about things supposedly demonic, horror movies and all those kinds of things. And all those movies and shows and stories and books portrayed Satan as this overpowering, fearful, terrorizing thing that could destroy everybody and everything, and so the best thing to do is just run away. And that sounds reasonable based on what you watch on the shows. If you don't run away, Satan will get you, or his demons will get you. And I think a lot of Christians, either intentionally or subconsciously, still think like this if they're not careful. It's interesting, because Scripture tells us to flee from certain things, sin. For example, in 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee from youthful lust. But we're never told to flee from Satan. We just stand firm, resist him. It's hard to fathom. We're told if we resist him, he'll actually run away from us. And it's not because we're so terrifying, it's because we're in Christ and his spirit indwells us. Now again, in no way is Peter commanding us to become tough guys, Christian Rambos, that we can take on the devil and we can do anything. It's a response. Resisting him is grounded in God's word and the promises of God. That's where it says, firm in your faith. This isn't about our own strength. This isn't about solely our own determination. This is about the Word of God, the Gospel, what we believe. You've got to have the truth of the Gospel woven into your heart to stand firm. As the temptations and deceptions and lies come our way, we have to have the Word of God protecting us. We have to know it, we have to understand it, and we have to have the ability to apply it. I didn't go back and put the scriptures in my notes because I think most of us are familiar with it, but it's always interesting when you go and you see the biblical account of Satan's temptations of Jesus. He tempted him in terms of physical body. Jesus was hungry. He was fully God, but he was fully man. He tempted him with the ability to bypass the cross saying, I'll give you all the kingdoms now, just worship me. Yet for every temptation, including when Satan tried to twist the word of God, say, just jump off the temple. Your angels will do these things. At every time, Jesus' response was, it is written. It is written. It is written. That has to be our lives. 
in Ephesians 6, there's a whole passage on spiritual warfare. I'm just going to read right now verses 11 to 13. But again, if you've been a part of the church for a long time, you've heard that over and over. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So you see, when, when Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith, this is not different from, in fact, Paul is elaborating on how you accomplish what Peter is commanding in such simple terms, what James commanded in such simple terms. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And when you look through the word of God, so much of it is tied up into our faith, the gospel, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And again, I'm not, I have the limitation of talking about a lot of this through my own experiences, but I remember again, as I was early in my Christian walk, when I heard spiritual warfare, it sounded very complex to me. I remember there were classes and it seems like people had charts and graphs and all these kind of things. And it sounded very complicated, but the reality is the longer I live and the more I study the scriptures, it's not so complicated. It's hard to live out because we're fleshly because we're easily led astray, because we take our eyes off of Jesus, because we look to authority other than the Word of God, but it's not complicated. It's us grounding ourselves in God's Word so that everything that happens in the world, everything that we experience with our senses is filtered back through the grid of Scripture. I've said it before, but I trust the Word of God more than I trust my senses. Why? Because Satan can manipulate this world. I can see things, doesn't mean they're true. I can feel things, it doesn't mean they're true. It's a materialistic worldview that says, well, if I touch it, it's real. Satan can do amazing things when God lets him loose. In fact, it will be deceptive, demonic miracles that will deceive many as time continues marching forward. I distrust my senses because I know how easily my flesh leads me astray. I trust the Word of God. That's what we have to do. Paul again describes what's going on very well, I think, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm only going to read verses 3 to 5 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing, and this is what I really want you, what he's talking about. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That really describes a great part of what's going on. Is the word of God, the knowledge of God what's true? Or is this world system and the lies of the evil one what's true? It's our job to take every thought captive. That's an aspect of resist him. Stand firm in your faith. 
Again, spiritual warfare is not as complicated as some make it seem, but it is relentless and it's never ending because Satan doesn't sleep. The lies against God's word and God's truth never stop. Part of what concerns me about me and about my fellow believer is that we can get so easily distracted. World events have a greater sway over my heart than they should. I'm a lot better than I was 20 years ago, but I still struggle. I get so wrapped up in what's going on that I take my eyes off of what's eternally true because I'm dealing with the minutia of the world. It's so easy for me to stop thinking like a Christian and start thinking like every other individual on this planet and it's a constant battle, but it's a necessary battle. So take advantage of what God has given you at Lakeside. Study the Word of God as much as you possibly can. If you're really desperate during the week to listen to more preaching, listen to Pastor Steve's archive. He's got thousands of sermons. Listen to the other teachers at Lakeside. I'm not saying nobody else speaks the truth. I'm just saying be careful. Don't go looking for something new. There's nothing new under the sun. Be discerning. Be careful about who you listen to. And if you hear one of the pastors of your church warn you against something, take it seriously. At the end of the day, be careful. And don't be so trusting. It's always held up. Every church except ours has a Berean Sunday school class. But Acts chapter 17 11 says something about people that were listening to the Apostle Paul. Now these were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica for they received the word with great eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Always come back to the word of God. So, let me get to my last point as we wrap up here. Preparing to face the challenges of 2021. Expect to experience difficult trials. Don't overlook your real enemy. Prepare your defense before the battle begins, meaning you're studying and absorbing God's word, praying for wisdom to apply it. In verse 4, remember that you're part of a global family. Remember that you're part of a global family. And I say this because the last half of verse 9 Peter puts some context for those who were receiving his letter. He says, Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. The final point is really, it's very simple, but it's just a reminder. These believers were going through a lot. Over the course of the years we've been studying First Peter, they had different struggles. Some had struggles with the government. Some had struggles with their masters. Some had struggles with their relationships. There was a sense that injustice permeated their existence. And add to it, they had this adversary, Satan, nipping at their heels constantly. And Peter's words at the end of verse 9 are supposed to be encouraging to remind the believers, look, you're part of something bigger than this. When we suffer as believers, we're not alone. Around the world 
all over the world. Other Christians are in the same battle against Satan and this world system and the injustices and everything else. I think one of the deceptive tools that Satan uses for believers is to try and get believers, and I see this all the time, but try to get believers to feel like they're the only ones that are enduring what they're enduring. It's just me. All the other people of God are privileged and protected and I'm the only one. It's not true. Now, I don't know how comforting it is that everybody else is suffering as much as you're suffering, but it's supposed to be comforting. The reason it's supposed to be comforting is just that's part of the lot we have in life. And God will right all wrongs and injustices John chapter 15, Jesus said this, which still has applicability to his children today. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Stop right there. A lot of churches and pastors are spending a lot of time trying to find the love of the world. It doesn't exist. Side notes over. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. This is in verse 20. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The point is this. If we're increasingly isolated, if we're increasingly singled out, we don't have to despair. This is just what God allows His children to endure at times. If we ever get so fixated on how unfair or unjust things are, just come back to what we've talked about many times. What do we deserve for our sin? But the encouragement is always remember the universal church. We're part of a global family. This is what is happening worldwide. And we're in good company. So let me encourage you. Be ready and be careful this year. I think the number of false teachers is increasing. But I think the skill of the deceptions are increasing. The best false teachers are the ones that adhere most closely to the Bible It sounds odd. The best false teachers are the ones that adhere most closely to the Bible. Why? Because it doesn't send off alarm bells. We have to be careful. We've got to dig a little more. Let me encourage you. If you have a question about a teacher, ask one of your elders. Ask one of your pastors. We're here and we're accountable to the Lord for protecting you. Let us try and help. And if one of us doesn't know, we'll ask others. Know this, God has blessed you to put you in this place, given you an opportunity to have all that you need for what's in front of us in this year. Thank Him for it and then take advantage of it. Let let me close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are privileged people. Lord, we by and large exist in a safe bubble here at Lakeside. Lord, you've given us faithful men. You've given us a faithful pastor, teacher, and Pastor Steve. 
And Lord, we are bombarded on a weekly basis with truth. So much so that if we're not careful, me included, we can get a little slothful and a little lazy and a little spoiled. Lord, give us a sense of urgency for the task in front of us. That this fallen evil world is a threat. Lord, not something that we have to cower in fear. We just have to stand firm. But Lord, we can't stand firm apart from the faith and apart from your word. So I pray that you will encourage each of us, Lord. Help us to study more diligently. Help us to listen more carefully. Help us to apply so that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers. And Lord, help us be discerning. It's getting more and more challenging to separate truth from error in our world. More and more false teachers have a platform, have an opportunity. And because it's just simply attaching a link and sending something, more bad teaching is spread more quickly than at any time I could imagine. Protect us, Lord. Help us be discerning. Help us be patient. And help us be prepared. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.